If you, Brady's asked me to, to record this, so if, if you've got your Bibles with you, would you open them up to Ephesians chapter 6? This is, a, this is a message I actually preached last week at our church, and I'm not just a guy that pulls one off the shelf. I don't like doing that. Wherever I go, and, and you know, doesn't matter where I go, I always want to, I always want to let the Lord lead and just preach the message that is meant for the people that are in front of me. So it will be a little bit different than last week, but it'll, you know, obviously it will be similar, seeing I'm dealing with the same passage. But we're going to be looking at verses ten through eighteen. And if you would, again, would you just stand with me, and I'm going to read that. I, I just read, stand in the honor of the reading of the Word of the Lord for our text. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he gets to this part here, and he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, with, to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance, and supplication for all the saints. You may be seated. Well, I want to talk about this today because I know in the past, uh, this past year, I mean, you know, backing up into 2023, there's been a lot of things that we in America have had to deal with. I mean, you just look at our government, I mean, I don't know about you, but is anybody here, can you really trust anything you hear on the, on the TV, on the media? I don't. I mean, you know, but I'm going to tell you my take on things. Whether it's stuff like that, uh, we've, seen, we've seen men um, in, in, in Christian uh, circles, especially in, in kind of our camp, what we'd call the reform camp. We've seen men that have just fallen, you know, said things, you know, here recently, I mean, I've seen that people have been posting about Alistair Begg, who I've always loved to listen to. It, 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 it shocks me to see men that I've thought so highly of and, and things, but I want to, I want to tell you where I'm at today. You see, I have stopped the, all the idolatry of worshiping of men in the church I mean, I, I care nothing anymore to go to the big-time conferences. I mean, I went to G3 a couple, two or three years ago, and it was good, you know. I mean, it was good. Most of the sermons I heard by the speakers, I'd heard them saying before. I mean, they pull them out of the vault. They polish them up a little bit, and I mean, it's still good. But I also saw a lot of idolatry. Those guys wouldn't even come out. 
Now, Joe Beakey, I'll give it up to him, man. He was out there motoring around. He was so busy, I don't think anybody realized who he was. You know, they weren't trying to get an autograph or a picture. But when Vodibachin would come out, he'd stand in his booth and men would line up 60 people deep just so they can get an autograph on their Bible or something. So I thought I would help out a little bit in that situation. This little brother, he was, looked like a little Asian guy. He had his Bible then. It was a really nice Bible. And I said, hey, brother, let me see your Bible. And he's in line, you know. And uh, he, <laughs> he looks at me a lot. I said, no, I just want to see it. He started to hand it to me, and I said, I'll sign it for you. And man, he pulled that Bible back. <laughs> and I said, okay, if you want, I'll sign his name. That'll save you some time. You know, you may not get there before the next speaker. And, and yeah, he never gave me his Bible. But it's just ridiculous how that we do that. And I want to tell you something. When you start really thinking about the Christian life and what the church and what we're supposed to be like, folks, where's our focus supposed to be on? It's supposed to be on Christ. And guess what? Everybody else is just weak men that have a strong and a great Savior. So why in the world do we put our confidence in a president or a government or, 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 or men that... Listen, I love those guys. I still love Alistair Begg. I'd like to have a sit down with him and shake him a little bit, but probably not going to get that opportunity. But I'm not shaken up because Alistair Begg said something that's just heretical. Okay, And I want us to understand why today, when you get in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 begins to tell you how blessed you are by God. It begins to tell you everything that God has done for you, how you've been redeemed, how you've been chosen and appointed, and how you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He ends it with Paul praying that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you could see these glorious things. Chapter 2 He reminds you of what you were. You were dead. You were disobedient. You were depraved and you were damned. But God, who's rich in mercy. Not only that, but he saved us by his grace. He's placed us in his household. He's torn down the wall of partition that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, you no longer identify as Jew or Gentile. You identify as Christ. You belong to him. Chapter 3, he goes into a little more detail of the mystery that once was hidden, but now is revealed. You know what that mystery is? It's you and I. Who in the world would have thought of including Gentiles in this? And now we, I mean, we get to proclaim this gospel. Chapter 4, he gets into the practical. He starts talking about how that we're to be unified. Not just Jew and Gentile, but Christians everywhere. Now, let's be honest, that's difficult today, is it not? There's so many denominations. Obviously, ours is more right than the rest, right? That's why we're here. You know, the thing that is, folks, is I just went down to Mexico on a mission trip. And predominantly, the people that volunteer and come down just like I did, I went with some people in my church that have gone for over 20 years. I'd say that most of them, folks, was probably of the Pentecostal flavor. What in the world am I going to do with that? You know what? I don't think they're not Christians. Sometimes I feel like God is stretching me. Remember the old show Star Trek? If you're old enough, you remember that. Remember old Captain Kirk and Enterprise always get sucked into some tractor beam and they couldn't get out of it? I just feel like that's what God's doing with me sometimes. I don't want to go that direction. I'd rather be around people who think and act. And Well, I don't think anybody does that like me exactly, but for the most part. 
And I'm down there and Pentecostal brother came and said, hey man, would you preach the gospel? Would you want to? I said, yeah. He goes, I'll be your interpreter. It's amazing what God does. We should be striving for unity. We should be exercising in our gifts in the body of Christ. And sometimes you can't even get people to come to church when they can. Chapter 5 tells us to walk in love. It tells us to walk in the light. It tells us to walk in wisdom. It tells us to be filled with the Spirit. He tells us how to be in our marriage, how our marriages should reflect Christ and His bride. He tells us how to, to, to love our children, how to train them, raise them up. He's given us all of this stuff. And then He comes over here and He says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Can I tell you something? All the time we think like this. You start a new job and it, it's terrible, isn't it? I mean, Jamie went from many years. Where was you at? I mean, Frito-Lay, many years. Then you had to go do something else and you're the new guy. And it's like, you got to learn how they do things. And, and you're wanting to get to that place where you just can do it without even thinking about it. In Christianity, oftentimes, that's the way we think. We think, oh, I'm a, I, I want to learn this where, where I don't have to, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got it all under control. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. Once you get it under control, God ain't working with you no more. God always wants you to be desperately dependent upon Him. I heard old Vance Habner, an old Baptist preacher from years ago, gone on to be with the Lord now. But he preached a sermon entitled, Have You Lost the Wonder? And he tells in this, in this sermon about an old evangelist named Gypsy Smith. Now, I don't know doctrinally where Gypsy Smith was. And he wasn't an educated man. He tells that. He says when Gypsy Smith would be preaching, he would come to a word he didn't know. You know what he would do? He said he would stop and elaborate a little bit. When he picked up, he skipped that word he didn't know and just continue on. But one thing about Gypsy Smith was this. He was always filled with joy. And I think at about the age of 87, he's still out preaching. And somebody sat down and had an interview with him. And they said, Brother Gypsy, after all of these years, how is it that your ministry is still fresh and vibrant? And he said, I've never lost the wonder. We don't ever want to grow past that childlike faith of looking to Christ. So he says, my brethren, be strong. Our strength is in the Lord and it's in the power of His might. Isn't that what Paul said? When I'm weak, then I'm made strong. It's when I'm desperate. Friend, I want you to know something. There's never a time I walk up to the pulpit feeling real confident. How's that make you feel today, eh? I mean, think about this. And here's what I'm always praying. I'm like, Lord, if you don't move, this will be a train wreck. I can confidently say today that I don't believe God has ever failed me yet. I'm not saying I'm this great preacher or anything like that, but I don't think it's been quite a train wreck. But God always moves in a certain way. So he says, look, be strong in the, in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's where our strength is. It's not in looking to well, John MacArthur's commentary or anybody else's, Matthew Henry. I'm thankful for those things, but I want to be strong in the Lord and in his might. And then he tells us this. He's saying, finally, he says, you need to put on the whole armor that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Has anybody been trial free this week? 
Anybody had the... Listen, I want you to know that, you know, when you come to Christ, He tells us to count it all joy when we go through various trials. I mean, think about that. Is that... Is that I mean, did James really... Was it... A, did he mess up in his writing? The way that we rejoice, the way we have joy in these things is realizing that in this trial, God has specifically chosen me to go through this, that I can glorify him in whatever it is I'm going through. When Peter and John got beat or got threatened when they first went out preaching, they said, don't you do it again. They got called in the next time with the other apostles and they beat them and they went away, it says, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. Friend, we're going to go through trials, but he says we need to go through it like this. We need to put on the armor of God that you'll be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. We have, we have an adversary that Peter describes as a roaring lion. He's, he's going about seeking whom he may devour. Now, I'm, I'll date myself again on age, but when I was growing up, there was an old show that came on TV called Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom or something like that, right? And, you know, and when you was a kid, you didn't want to see them birds and stuff. You wanted to see the lions. I mean, that was like the best. But it was kind of bittersweet because there was always this little antelope that was either young or it was real old and it was weak or undiscerning. And a cheetah or something would kill it, you know. It's kind of cool, kind of sad. Listen, Christians, young Christians that don't know, Christians who've aged and they think they don't need any help, they're vulnerable to these attacks. Now, I want you to understand something. When he's talking about this, he says, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The other day, oh, Kelly hadn't been there the last couple of times I've been there, but we got a lot of opposition the other day. You see, we can go back and read all of the things that God has done for us, but you've got to understand, and we love talking about that. We love talking about God's grace, right? And the love that God has for us. And God is so sovereign. And all of these things, this is kind of in-house where it's really good, but when we step out, and it ain't just stepping out. Sometimes we bring it in with you. There's opposition. The other day I was preaching down there with Brady and everybody, and it was my turn. I got out in the truck, Jamie's truck, and Hebrew Israelite came up. He lied to us, didn't he? We caught on to his game, though, and yeah, I argued with him a while, and finally he left, and Brady goes, man, I'm glad you got that one and not me. Well, the next two that came along was ten times worse than the guy I got. One of them was a lady that, I said, what's your name, young lady? And she said, my name is Snake Baby. I said, well, Snake Baby, we're glad you're here. We'd like to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ. (laughs) But the next guy that came would just continue to say, hell, Satan. I want to go to hell. What I got to do to do that? And we go, nothing. You're, You're on your way. But we're here to try to tell you that it's not going to be like you think. You see, the thing it is, we're, our, our, our fight is not against people. You see, they're, they're in bondage to sin. They're, they're, they're prisoners. They're captive to it. They're under the power of the devil, whether they acknowledge him or not. He doesn't care if he's acknowledged as long as he can destroy their lives. Keep them with deaf ears and things like that. But our, our, rest, our fight, our war is not against that. 
But he says, but it's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and it's against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now this is, it's almost like levels of demonic authority. I mean, you start with Satan as the captain of it, no doubt. But then you, you branch it down and you look at what, we, what opposes Christians in this world. We start with things like government, right? And you, and you branch on down, you get into your education, you get into you know, your, your media and, and everything like that. And it just keeps coming down into more localized things. And then you get down to the worst of the worst where you're getting into like pornography and drugs. It's just the, the lowest form. I mean, it's just, it's just and that, that's what we're warring against. Sometimes people go, man, aren't those people a bunch of druggies out there at the bus stop? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can smell pot as soon as you get out of your car. It's everywhere. And, it's, and they're on worse stuff than that. But, but are they worth saving? I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, not only God knows, but are they worth telling the gospel to? So look at this. When he says that, he goes, now look, what I'm trying to get you to understand, we have an enemy. We look at everything God has blessed us with. He's telling us how to practically walk. And now he says, look, it ain't going to be easy. Anybody that's ever thought that the Christian call was just say a prayer, squeeze my thumbs, nod your head, do this, and I will Christianize you, didn't really get a good version of the gospel. The gospel is a message. It's an invitation to come and die. That's really what it is. So listen to this. He tells us this. He says, therefore, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God. Now, the whole armor. Can you imagine going into the military and you go to training and they, they train you, they teach you strategy, they, they teach you how to use the weapons and all this, and then you're going to go out into combat and you decide I'm not going to take a gun or I'm not going to take a, a helmet or Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. I mean, there, this common sense tells you, I want as much protection, I want as many weapons as I can take with me. Everything you've given to me, let me take it. He says, take the, the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, I don't know if the evil day here is like in the... Uh, the, the definite article, like the, but I think it's just when the day of opposition comes, when that, when it, it is, it comes to a crescendo, and here it is, and that, can, and that, and that can be applied in so many various ways. But can I tell you something right now? We have to, we have to know our enemy, do we not? Okay, we have to know our enemy. We have to know. It's always best to know how the enemy fights. How, does, how has the enemy always fought against not only his church, not only the, the, the God's people, but even Christ himself? Do you know he always attacks the Word of God? He always attacks the Word. Think about it in the very beginning. Did God really say? Are you sure? Are you sure? Maybe I think what God knows is you'll become like God. Right there in the beginning. Think about when Christ walked the earth. What happened? Is it not written? I mean, you know, I mean, doesn't it say this? And Jesus responds every time with what? The word. He attacks it. What is it? He tries to get you to doubt it, 
to not believe it. He tries to twist it. Whatever he can do to get you off track. Now, a Christian, a true born-again believer, cannot lose their salvation. The only way that you can lose your salvation is if somehow Christ ceased to exist. He's eternal. You're in Christ. Your salvation is eternal. But Satan can get you to doubt. And when you doubt, guess what happens? You lose hope. And when you lose hope, guess what? You throw in your towel and you just quit, at least for a time. And when you quit, that person is no longer even interceding in prayer to God, not only for themselves, but for others. And it weakens the church as a whole. Now, I'm not going to go no further that. It'll get over my level of my thinking and everything, what I understand. But I'm just telling you this, that Satan would, wants nothing better than to stop whatever work is going on. Now, the last time I came here, you had a couple more people. Now, that I'm, I know there's some not here today that would be. But you had some more people that were here. And I'm really trying to encourage everybody to understand you're in a church plant. A church plant is not easy, especially in America, where you can go and there's big churches everywhere. You can find all manner of things that you want in those big churches. It's not easy to do a church plant. How do I know? Been there, done that. It's not easy. So here's the thing. Satan will whisper in your ear. be a lot easier over that church, man. Have you seen that building? They've got a coffee maker. They've got gymnasium. Man, they've got it all. What do y'all got? You ain't got your own building. It's tough. Satan will whisper in our ears. He will try to stop the work. Is this work, is it of God, and is it worth pressing forward in? So we got we to weigh these things out. So he says, he's telling us to take the whole armor of God to be able to stand in the evil day. He says, having done all to stand. Okay, what you've got to realize is this. Now, we're going to talk about this in a minute, these, these, the, the, the different... Uh, clothing that we're to put on, this armor and everything. But when he's talking about standing, he's up there before he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul would use the things of his day to illustrate pictures like this, okay? And when he talks about stand, he says, when you've done all to stand, and he says, and, and then he, he goes on the next thing, he says, stand therefore, and he's going to go into it. But what you've got to picture is the, like the wrestlers back in those days. They would get in a, in a stance. It was one of ready to attack and one of defense. But they were not backing up. Now one thing you're going to notice about the armor. Every piece of protective clothing is on the front. It's not on the back. It's not for the Christian to tuck tail and run. Now there's times of retreat. There's times of advance, but there's never time that we expose where we're not protected. So he says to stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. He starts with truth. Now, he's given this picture. Now, truth is going to be like the part that we have to be people of truth. Okay? If you're a Christian, then you've heard the gospel, the true gospel. Now, you may not understand all of the word of the Lord, but here's the thing. When he's talking about, let me read it again how, how it words it. He says, having girded your waist with, with truth. 
What it was, like, when they, these soldiers had this, this, their clothing on, I mean, it looked kind of like, you know, skirt or something. It ain't like what we wear today. But it was loose clothing. Now, it wouldn't be helpful to have this, like, just loose clothing in, in, in wartime, in, in battle. So what they would do, they would cinch this up and they would took this belt and they would tie it off. They're getting ready to go fight, okay? When we're getting ready to fight, we better be standing on the foundation of truth, okay? That's where we have to be. And you look at any of these things we're going to look at, what are we really saying in all of these things? You say, well, I'll wait to say that at the end. So listen, is we want to we, we want to we want to have the belt of truth on, and then he says we want to having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this breastplate it, it, it covered the heart, it covered your lungs, it covered these vital organs that if they were to be pierced with an arrow or in a sword or anything, it would be certain death. So, and I like to think mostly of the heart right here that our heart would be right. Now I want you to understand something. When we talk about something like righteousness, there is a, a position that we hold that God has made us righteous. In God's, in God's estimation, when God sees us, I used to do this a lot. I'd go to places and preach, and, and I would ask them. I'd say, well, how righteous are you? I mean, can anybody tell me? And they would, they'd be like, you could see the wheels turning. They would be thinking like, oh, man, I don't know. And I'd say, well, how many of you would say you're as righteous as Titus? You know, he's got a book named after him in the Bible, and they'd be like, eh, probably not. I said, what about Paul? I mean, I'd up it, you know. And they'd be like, no way. And I said, well, how many of you are as righteous as Jesus Christ? And everybody would shake their head no. And I said, man, i got some seriously bad news for you. I said, you're all going to hell. If you're not as righteous as Christ, you're going to hell. I said, I asked you how righteous you were. I wasn't asking how righteous you feel or how righteous you're doing. But positionally, we have been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, practically, the working that out, the sanctification of our souls. He says we want to not only have that position, but we want that position to propel us that we would want to walk like that and to live like that. To live in a right manner, to live righteously before the Lord. Not only before the Lord, but before our, our families, before members of our church, before an unbelieving world that when they look at you. How many times have you seen somebody that said like this? I don't agree with that guy. That guy, he's a Christian. But I'll tell you one thing. That guy is the genuine article right there. That's a righteous man. That's a godly man. You see, that's what, this, that's what that does. When we're living in such a manner, it doesn't mean we're perfectly sinless. I'm not talking about that. I don't believe in that in this life. But what I am talking about is living in such a way that, that our heart is right. It's, it's almost like, like you could say it like this, like, as far as I know, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't accuse me of doing anything wrong. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm hiding some sin. No, that's where we want to live in this. So, so picture it. You've got this belt on, and it's, it's the belt of truth. Now you've got the breastplate of righteousness on. And look at this. He says, having your feet shod, or having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay, now, now I want you to think about this. And guys, the men in here get really into this because we start thinking about, man, putting on some armor. We know there's a sword coming, a shield. I mean, 
My goodness, everybody wanted to be Captain America just because of the shield, right? Didn't work out good when I was a kid, but you know, theoretically, it was really cool. Now, here's the thing. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? We want to have... We want to be ready, pre- prepared. He talks about having our feet shod to the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, it wasn't just your shoes, but there was like these shin guard type things. And so I think he was pretty much talking about all of it. But the, the shoes in particular. I mean, anytime you go to do something, I can remember playing sports, whether it was baseball or basketball. I didn't get to play football. I wanted to. I just didn't have school that did it, but... But I wanted to do those things, but I'm going to tell you something, man. Having on the right kind of shoes made all the difference in the world. I mean, if you was running bases, you didn't want on your basketball shoes. It was not going to be good for, for getting traction. So you wanted the right shoes on. So th- these shoes were made, and they were made much like cleats are today. Uh, they had little spikes in the bottom of them. And basically, it's like when they were in, in the trenches, I mean, where the enemy might be barefoot or might have on some flat sandal things, these guys got traction. Not only that, but you could stomp somebody's foot with these things. I mean, you could do a lot of damage. But now, for us, when we talk about the preparation of the gospel of peace, what we're talking about is the way we engage this war with our enemies is we tell them the love of Jesus Christ. We tell them the good news that Christ came to save sinners. You want to know how you attack and you wound the enemy? You start taking what the Lord has claimed from him. You start going out and preaching the gospel and those that God has chosen, God starts bringing them to him. It's not going to happen outside the preaching of the gospel. Now that could happen through the preaching of it. It could happen from gospel tracts. I mean, there's ways it could happen. They could find the get a Bible. They could read it. But nonetheless, the gospel is going to preach. And then what happens is when the gospel goes out, the word is being proclaimed and the Holy Spirit comes into that heart and there's a change. It's called regeneration. It's much, very much, I'm not going to go into no detail here, so don't panic, but it's just like when a man and a woman come together and a child is conceived. It, it takes these two things. It takes the gospel being preached and it takes the Holy Spirit coming in, working the miracle. That's what, that's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. He said, you, unless, you know, unless you're born again. And so we have to be ready and prepared. How many days do you get up and you go to your job and you're not thinking about the gospel whatsoever? I mean, listen, folks, you've got to think this in your mind. You're never not in a war. Now, whether or not you're participating, I don't know. But you're not ever not in a war. And so every day you could be going to your job thinking about somebody there. But when you stop over here at the QT and maybe the, the person that's, that's, you know, ringing up your bill, something just don't look right. And you say, are you doing OK today? And you could just simply say, how can I pray for you? And say, I've got this. I'd like for you to read this today, just on your own time. You never know, but we want to be ready and prepared at all times to be able to tell somebody the good news that Jesus Christ came in this world to save sinners. He goes to the next one. Verse 16, he says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. I ask people this a lot of times. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And every Christian says, yes. And then I say, do you believe Jesus Christ? What do you mean? I want you to think about this. How many times do you feel like maybe something comes to your mind, like a work, a ministry, some kind of thing. Go talk to a neighbor or something, and it just fills your heart. Then the next thought is like, well, I'm nobody. I mean, Jesus said go into all the world. Sometimes that's just right next door, across the street, bus station, wherever it may be. But we, remember how Satan attacks? We doubt. We don't believe. I want you to think about this. If you're a believer here today, you believed an impossible message. You believed a foolish message. Let me get this straight. You believe that God became a man, born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life. I didn't know that was on. Lived a perfect, sinless life. Was crucified, put in a tomb, and three days later, he ain't there. He's risen from the dead. You believe that with every fiber in your being, right? Do you believe that this same God who miraculously saved you can use you to reach other people? I believe in Jesus. Do you believe Jesus? Because it didn't stop with your salvation. You see, this little church is right where I was for many years. You don't know how many times in our little group we had six families. And one of them was a single dude. You know, he's a single guy, Carl, right? We still count him. We still love him, right? And I'd leave church and I'd go... What are we? Oh, guess what? We didn't have our building either. Wasn't even a church building. We was in the community center. I said, Lord, are, are we just idiots? What are we doing? Are we even real? But even in all that war, we just kept believing Jesus. Now, I'm not saying it was a strong belief. It was more like the guy said, Lord, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Church, we have an enemy that's going to fire those fiery darts, those flaming arrows. He says, we must take the shield of faith. You know what faith is? Faith is believing what God has said. Do you know what trust is? Trust is advancing on it. I believe what God has said is true. And I'm going to move forward and I'm going to trust that He will provide and He will equip and He will empower as He has promised that in His Word to me. That's what it is. You see, when when the enemy back in those days would shoot those flaming arrows, they'd have these like four foot tall shields. They had two kinds. One was a little round one called a buckler. That was kind of your personal thing. But they would do this thing, especially the Roman army, they'd call this thing, it was a turtle. And the guys on the front line would stick their shields down. The guys behind them would pull theirs up. 
and they'd shoot all these flaming arrows, and it was just like hitting a turtle shell. Except they would wrap these shields on the front with this burlap. They would coat this wood in like some kind of oily stuff, and then they'd put this burlap, and when those flaming arrows would hit it, they would be extinguished immediately. And when they'd run out of arrows, then they would start advancing. We have to take the shield of faith. And look at this. Verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. In Colossians chapter 3, I want you to listen to this. Chapter 3, verses 1, probably 2. If then you were raised with Christ, that means have you been born again? Have you been raised a new creation in Christ? If you have, he says, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting. Or where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on this earth. And I was talking about earlier, you know, those conferences I'd go to, right? Look, look what he says. Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. What is your focus on? We live in a time where so many young ministers are just trying to climb the ladder of success. You know, you, you may tell you what some of my greatest struggles have been where Satan has tried to just oppose me in, in the very thing that I feel the greatest joy in the preaching of, of his word. Now, I, I, was, I was like I told you, I was kind of in this crazy church. So you know how I learned how to preach? With a Bible. You didn't dare take notes to a pulpit. You'd have got kicked out. I learned to preach just reading a Bible, looking at the verse and just preaching it. Then I get enlightened. Then you call it reform, you can call it, I call it sovereign grace is what I call it. But all of the guys there, they're smarter than me. Carl, I don't, I'm going to tell you the secret, man. I've only got 25 words in my vocabulary. It's just you've got to be good at mixing them up. And so I'd tell these guys, saying, you've got to study this many hours. You've got to, oh, you've got to put your notes down. You've got to have an outline. Every time I try to do that, it's just like everything up here just starts frying and just melting and... See, I don't, I don't operate good that way. And I got the enemy telling me, well, if you don't do it that way, nobody will ever take you serious. I had to come to the mind and go, you know what? I'm just who I am. I'm not here to please you. I've always said this when I preach. I want to preach to an audience of one. We say that. Sometimes we think the audience of one is ourself. That's not the audience. The audience is God himself. But what I'm trying to get across to you is this. My mind had to be focused on Christ. My mind had to be focused on his word when I was going to go preach. 
I have found the greatest thing that I've ever been able to do in studying on the Word of God is not only just to study. I, I, do, I, I do study those things. I write things down. If you ever looked at one of my outlines that I do have, you could never get a sermon out of it. It's the worst outline in the history of, of the world. But what I did learn was this. Study it and then pray through the text. You pray and you ask God to fill you with His Spirit. See, I have to battle those things too. So I have my, my mind has to be protected from, from the, the doubts and, and, the, and the, you know, the discouraging things of the adversary. So he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And then he says, now look, at this point, you, 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 look, think about it. your head is protected, your, your chest is protected, you're, you got this, you, everything's out of the way, you've got your shoes on, you've got your shin guards, you're protected, you've got the shield of faith. Now he says this, he says, got to find it, he says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Far too many Christians don't, do not share the gospel because they do not know the Word of God. If you do not know the Word of God, you really don't have much of a relationship with the God of the Word. If you really want to know somebody, what do you do? You study that person, don't you? I know men that are so caught up in college football and their favorite team, they can tell you about every guy on that roster. They can tell you 40 times. They can tell you averages, statistics, all of those things. They know that, and they love to fellowship and that stuff. But you start talking about Jesus Christ, and they clam up. Because even though they believe in him, they don't really know him that well. I told some people in the prison one night, and I was preaching I said, you're not going to believe this, man, but I know Michael Jordan. And everybody kind of laughed. And I said, I don't know why you're laughing. I know him. I, pers- I said, matter of fact, I talked to him today in person. Everybody were all looking at me, and I said, yeah, man, he was a good basketball player. He wasn't as tall as they said, though. He's only about six foot four. And he's, he's a white dude, kind of Native American a little bit. And they're all kind of looking at me, and I said, I know Michael Jordan. I said, he's a firefighter in Ada, Oklahoma. Obviously, we were talking about a different Michael Jordan, wasn't I? But I knew him. Many times with Christians, because they don't know the Word of God, the Jesus they begin to talk about doesn't exist in here. They're talking about a different kind of Jesus. Friend, I can't... I can't encouraging enough. You want to know what the key to all of this is right here. You can have all of this armor on, but you must know Jesus in his word. Do you remember in Luke 24, the last chapter of the book of Luke, after, you know, he'd been crucified a week earlier, everybody thought, you know, the king is here. The Messiah has come. He's going to deliver us. He's going to, he's going to restore everything. He's going to rebuild the temple. He's going to destroy our enemies. They were looking for this only to see him be crucified on a cross, taken down and he's put in a tomb. They've got soldiers guarding the tomb just in case any of you crazos want to go try to get him out of there. Three days later, the women show up. The men don't show up, but the women show up and they've got spices. They're going to, I don't know what that's all about. I've never studied that, but they're going to somehow get in there or something and I don't get it. 
But when they showed up, guess what? The stone was rolled away. This was something they couldn't move. Too heavy for them. And it was sealed on the outside of wax or something. I mean, and it's moved out of the way and they look in and there's no body in there. Two men are on their way to Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Jesus just comes and appears to them. He doesn't reveal that it's Him, but He just starts walking with them. And He can hear Him talking, and He looks at Him finally. He says, Why are you guys, what are you guys talking about? Why are you so sad? And they're just like, What's the deal? Are you the only, you're the only guy in town? Are you, what, are you a stranger? Don't you know what's happened? We, we, we thought it was Him. We, we knew the Messiah had come, and, 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 and we just knew it was Him, but... To make matters worse, they killed him. Our, our leaders killed him. They crucified him. And it's even worse today because some women went there and, you know, nobody listens to the testimony of a woman can't even be in court back in them days. But they came and told us that he's, his body's gone to make matters worse. Listen to what Jesus said. He listened to all this. And he says, said to them, he said, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Listen to that, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses. And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I'm going to tell you something. It was a big stumbling block to believe this was the Messiah if he was crucified on a tree. Because God had said, whoever dies on a tree is cursed by God. At this point, they still don't know who they're talking to. When they come to where they're going, they ask him to come in and eat with them. And it says this It came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed and broke it, and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. How long has it been since you read the Bible just to see Jesus? How long has it been since your heart was burning within you? We'll get on a Bible plan at the first of the year and we'll check off our three chapters a day, five on Sunday, so we can make it through in a year. Whoever told us you had to read it through in a year? I mean, if you can read it through in a year, great. If you can read it through 10 times, you're great. All I'm saying is this, read it because He is it. Because you want to see Christ. Because you want to know Christ. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Rehearse it. The other night, I, I have a problem. I can only sleep about five hours a night. Well, man, I was tired and I went to bed like at 9, so I'll wake up at 2.30. So 
So I just started going through Romans this morning in the first sermon that I preached in my in the Romans series. And that night I just woke up and I just started just, just saying over and over Romans 1. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. I just kept saying that over and over, letting it sink in. Friend, he says we have to have this. And why do we got to have this sword of the Spirit? Think about when Satan came. Every time Jesus responded. And I want you to think about this. Here is the living. This is the true Word of God. And the living Word of God that Jesus Himself is quoting the written Word of God. Jesus could have revealed Himself to Cleopas and that other guy, whatever his name was. We don't know. He could have just came up and said, hey, it's me, Jesus, but he didn't. You don't want to know why? He waited and he said, he began to expound and exposit and show the Christ in all the scriptures. He could come right now and just open it up. He wants you to know him in his word. Knowing Christ in his word will defeat the enemy that we have every time. Every time. We sometimes put Satan and Jesus not too far apart on the power scale. It's no match, friend. And it shows how little we know Him, how little we believe, how little we trust in Him when we are afraid to go forward because opposition. Kelly's been there when I about got thumped a couple times. Jamie was there. Guy with his fist doubled up behind his back. And I think I could have took that one. And before him, there was a guy about six foot six. He says, you don't want nothing to me. And I was like, you are right. I really don't. Friend, we've got to know him in his word. So we've got to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I don't know what I don't know how y'all do everything. I'd probably I'd tell Brady for sure. I probably have talked to him, and maybe you do. You need to you know the, the people of God are going to be known as the, as people of prayer. Jesus said, "My house will be called a house of prayer." If a church, if a local church is not a praying church, let's just quit calling it a church. Either we get it right, or we just let's quit making a mockery of things. As individuals, we need to be people of prayer. In our families, men need to be leading your wives in prayer. That's bad for me and you today, Terry. Where did I think we're only married guys in here right now? That's where we got to be. We've got to be leading that. We've got to be. Our children need to see us pray in front of them. They need to. They need to grow up where dad is leading in prayer. We need pastors leading their churches. In prayer, we need people going, ah, just a prayer meeting. We need to get rid of that. What do you mean, just a prayer meeting? I mean, do you realize that the early church, they continued to pray, waiting for whatever Jesus was talking about when Pentecost was going to come. They continually were in prayer. All 120 of them. Women, you name it, they were all there. They were all present. They were all praying. You go back and read the book of Joshua, you're going to find two times that they stumbled. Two times. 
you're going to find the first time when they went to fight a little town called Ai. Or we done whoop Jericho. This ain't nothing. We'll just send a few thousand folks down there and whoop them. They got chased out, and I think they killed 36 or 37 of of the Israelites. They had failed to seek God in this. The other time was when the Gibeonites came and disguised themselves as somebody from a long ways off. Somebody that God said, you're going to destroy them. And they came and said, oh, we're these far. We've heard of your great God and we just want to make a covenant with you. And you know what? They did not seek God on that. And God said, you're going to honor the covenant. They're going to be a thorn in your side for the rest of your lives. There is nothing that we do not Take lightly. We do not, everything that comes our way, we are to be people of prayer. I'm telling you, our, the, the enemy we have, it, it talks about the wiles, the tricks, the cunningness, the schemes that he has. You'll think, you'll get back on that autopilot, like, man, I've arrived. I'm no longer that young, undeserving Christian, man. I know my stuff now, and I will promise you, you'll wind up just like where Alistair Begg's at right now. He still can't see it. You can't say, I don't condone anything about this, but I'm going to come. Friend, that's condoning it. I mean, I, I mean, he's way smarter than me. He should know this. This is what happens when you do not desperately find your need and everything about you in Christ. You never move from that position. I don't care what status you have. You never move away from crying out and say, God, I desperately need you to move. Why? We go back to this. We want to be strong in the Lord. If you're not strong in His Word, you're not strong in the Lord. We want to be stronger in the power of His might. If the Spirit of God is not filling you, if the Spirit of God is not leading you, if He's not empowering you, you ain't got no might. Now listen to this. Let's go back through these just real quickly. Look at this. He says first, he says, Take the whole armor of God, you may be able to stand, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your, your, your gird, you girded your waist with truth. You want to know what it really means when, you, when we talk about putting on the armor? And I'm going to say something. We don't just put the armor on one time and it's a done deal. No, it's every day. And sometimes every moment of the day. When you're putting on truth, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're putting on Christ. He says, He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. We have been imputed positionally. We have the righteousness of Christ. Christ is our righteousness. You're putting on Christ. When you talk about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In Romans 1.1 today, I just preached about the gospel of God. You want to know what the gospel of God is? Jesus Christ. He talks about taking the helmet of faith. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Our faith is not in a dead man. Our faith is in a risen, living Savior who is our King and our Lord. He talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. Salvation is of the Lord. It's not our salvation. David said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Christ is our salvation. Do you understand what we're doing? We are putting on Christ. 
And if you don't put on Christ, you don't stand a chance. If you don't have a desire to put on Christ, I have to doubt your salvation somewhat. I'm not the judge, but I've got to ask you, if you know you're in a war, you know you're truly born again, you know you're a Christian, the the invitation to come and follow Christ was to deny yourself and take up your cross. You stop living for you and you take up your cross. That's a That wasn't a cool saying. People weren't walking around with crosses around their necks. They didn't have t-shirts with... That would be like today, walking around with an electric chair around your, like a necklace or something like that. When, when Jesus says, take up your cross, it would have put chills on them. It means you need to be ready to go to your death every day. Whether that's dying to yourself and your desires and living for Christ, or it could even possibly be dying for the cause in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we talk about this. When we talk about the Word, He is the Word. See, this is the key to the whole thing. When we read the Word of God, God is speaking to us. When we're praying, we have been given such a gift, the ability, the privilege to go and talk to our Father. Paul in Ephesians 1, he says, Lord, I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be opened, that they might see it. God, help me that I could see more clearly. Open my eyes wider that I could see more of Christ. I'm talking about me. Not only our prayers, but when we pray, listen to what he says over in Philippians chapter 4 about prayer. He says, be anxious for nothing. He's saying, I don't want you worrying. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. It goes back to that James thing, joy and trials. Here we are thanking God and for these, these rough things we're going through. Don't worry. In everything by prayer and supplication. Prayer is kind of general. Supplication is more specific. <coughs> But to do it thanking God, he says, let your request be made known to God. Now listen to the promise he gives us. And he goes back, do you believe God? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray. Father, I pray, Lord, today that you would look down upon us and help us today that we would, God... Listen to your word, believe your word, obey it, to put this armor on every moment of the day. Oh God, conform us to the image of Christ. Increase our faith, Lord. Help us when we believe, but yet help us in our unbelief. I pray for this little church. I pray that you would establish them, that you would bring those to them that is would be good for them, would be your will. I pray that they would stand strong and firm, not backing up, engaging the enemy. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.